Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. It says, The Messiah has liberated us into freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. Today we begin verse 13 in Galatians chapter 5. And if you'll remember back a few sermons, I explained how that verses 2 through 12 were a pause in Paul's thought. And that verse 13 is best viewed as picking up Paul's thought back in verse 1. So the past two times I preached, we went through verses 2 through 12, and we saw verse 1 in the first sermon in chapter 5. Verse 1 is a call to not submit to the misuse or the abuse of the law taught by the influencers. That's the yoke of slavery. That's the heavy yoke. You're free from the teaching that presents certain aspects of the outward law, as the means by which you're justified. That's what they were teaching the Gentiles. You're not saved until you do X, Y, and Z on the outside when saving faith had already been placed in their heart and mind on the inside. Then in verse 13, Paul balances this. He says, don't submit to this misuse of the law. But Paul is not teaching the Galatians that they're free to do whatever they want to do. Remember, as I've said in previous sermons, No one is free from everything. Everyone is free from something. And at the same time, everyone is a servant to something. So in verse 13, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, but don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Serve one another through love. What does Paul mean here by the flesh? The word flesh has a wide range of use in the Bible, but whenever you see the words or the phrase the flesh used in opposition to the Spirit, whenever you see that in the Scripture, like in verse 16 where he says, I say then walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. When you see those two terms used in opposition, the word flesh is a term that describes our sinful nature. The desire in humans to commit sin. Some people do not like this teaching, but the more that I read and study the Scriptures, and the more that I just live and get older and meditate upon it all, I see that we all fail in Adam. Adam in the Garden of Eden acted as what is called our federal or representative head. When he fell, we fail. Romans chapter 5 is the best text to show that if you want to read Romans 5 in your own study time. And then you can branch out from there with other texts in both the Old and the New Testaments. Let me illustrate it like this. The battle between David and Goliath. A lot of people know about that battle. Both David and Goliath represented their armies. If David won the battle, all Israel won the battle. If Goliath won the battle, all the Philistines won the battle. Neither all Israel or all Philistines fought, only David versus Goliath, because each man stood as a representative of the whole. 
That's an illustration. Such is the case in regards to sin with Father Adam. Yahweh, in His infallible nature, chose Adam to be the perfect representative for humanity. And Adam failed. And it wasn't then just Adam that had to work by the sweat of his face. It was also Brother Jerry and Brother Matthew that had to work by the sweat of his face. It wasn't just Adam that when he tilled the ground it brought forth thorns and thistles. It's Brother Matthew, Brother Ron, Brother Jerry, it's all of us. The consequences fell to all of us. And not just the consequences, but sin itself. This is why every person that you know that is born and looks like a cute little innocent baby, every person ends up sinning. You'd think that if we were all just born morally neutral, half of us, or at least some of us, would never sin. We would always choose to do good. But in all the billions of people that have been born, we all end up transgressing the law. You don't have to teach children to sin. They sin. What you do have to teach them to do is keep the commandments. We may not think that it's fair that Adam is our head. Number one, Yahweh is the one who created Adam and picked him to be our representative. So I think Yahweh chose best. Number two, do you think that you would have done any differently than Adam? I think you and I would have done the same thing. And I think that anyone who is honest will admit that. Here's the good news though. In Romans 5, we not only learn that Adam is our representative and that we are fallen in Adam, but we also learn that the Messiah, the second Adam, the new creation, can be our new head or our new representative before the Father. Just as through one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Romans 5.19 So by being given the gift of faith in the Messiah, we go from being represented by Adam to being represented now by the Messiah. Now, when we experience the new birth, when Yahweh changes our hearts and our minds to do His will rather than our own, we also with that experience a battle between the Spirit of Yahweh and the desires of this flesh. This flesh that we're still in, even though we've been born from above, even though we have a new heart and a new mind, we still are incarcerated at this present time in a body of sinful flesh. Although the new man or the new woman, spiritually, can choose to obey the law, we still battle with sin. Thus the flesh, that is humanity, versus the Spirit, that is Almighty Yahweh. So, us believers are called to freedom, but we are not to use this freedom to do what our flesh desires. Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, what should we do with our freedom? Paul tells us, serve one another through love. Love is service. If you love someone, you don't harm them. You treat them with dignity. You obey all of the commandments on this horizontal plane from person to person. And that's why Paul writes in verse 14... For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now I have to stop here and talk about this verse for a bit because I think that there's a statement in verse 14 that is one of the most misunderstood statements in all of the Bible by those who hold to the position that the law of the Old Testament has no relevance in the life of the Christian. 
First of all, when Paul says, for the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself, Paul is not making that up. He's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. That book that barely gets preached about. Leviticus 19.18 says what? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So Paul is quoting the Old Testament. Secondly, love is not just a feeling that you have. Now love is something that you feel for someone, like when a husband tells his wife, I love you so much, sweetheart. That's a feeling, right? Love is a feeling. That's okay. Love equals affection and feeling, but love... Catch this. Love never stops at a feeling. Not true love. You may have a false sense of love towards someone that only amounts and stops at a feeling, but that is not true love. True love begins with a feeling and then it manifests itself by how you treat other people because love is service. Serve one another through love. That's how you know when somebody loves you is by how they treat you. You can tell me that I love you all day long, but if you do not treat me as Scripture commands, you do not really love me. The last six of the Ten Commandments are directed at person-to-person relationships, and they begin with honor your father and your mother. If you love your parents, you will respect your parents. As they grow older, you will make sure they are taken care of. You will serve them when they can no longer serve their self. This is love. And it's the same with the remainder of the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. If you love somebody, obviously you won't murder them. And that's the bare minimum. There's a lot more to that commandment. I've preached on it before, but that's the minimum. If you love your spouse, you will not commit adultery against your spouse. You won't steal from a person. You won't bear false witness against a person. You won't covet what belongs to someone else. The picture here is that love always equals service and that love never stops at just a feeling or an emotion. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Serve one another. How? Through love. Because the entire law is fulfilled in this one statement from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Now, thirdly, on verse 14, let's look at what Paul means here by the entire law is fulfilled. Now, again, I have heard so many people say that this statement means we don't need to look to the law anymore. Let's just love. Let's just love everybody. Don't worry about the law. Don't worry about reading the law. Don't worry about looking at the law. Listen, you may have some vague understanding of what it means to love somebody else, but unless you read the law of Yahweh, you will not know what it means to love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor means not charging your neighbor interest on a loan. Loving your neighbor means taking care of a widow who's lost her husband. Loving your neighbor means leaving the borders of your garden for the poor. Loving your neighbor means releasing your neighbor's debt in the Sabbath year. Loving your neighbor means paying him at the end of a day's work. We learn these things by reading the law of Yahweh that teaches us how to love. Love is not just a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a verb. Now some people say this, Well, the law is on my heart. So I don't have to read all that stuff. He put it on my heart. What's funny is that the people that I hear say this the most never know what the law says. And if the law's on their heart, you would think they would know it from cover to cover. If the law, all of it, is written on your heart, then you should know what Leviticus 19.35 says. Anybody want to take a shot at that? Leviticus 19.35. I don't even know what it says right now. I picked one that I wasn't familiar with. 
Somebody think, let me get my phone out real quick. This is why, brothers and sisters, this is why we still need to read the law, the first five books of the Bible. We still need to read the law of Yahweh and we still need to be taught by teachers of the law. The law on the heart promise is a process. It is a heart change produced by Yahweh and then Yahweh gradually writes His law on the tablets of your heart and mind as you read it, study it, learn it, memorize it over a period of time and put it into practice. You will eventually have the entire law written on your heart and at that time you won't need anybody to teach you for you all know Yahweh from the least to the greatest. That will be in the finality of the kingdom when the new covenant is fully came. That's in your glorified, resurrected state. And another thing, this is very important. The law on your heart means Yahweh's law on your heart. Not that your heart is the law. That is a very subtle difference. But I believe that when a lot of people say the law's on my heart, what they mean is my heart is now the law. I just do what my heart tells me to do. That's not the promise. The promise is Yahweh's law on your heart. So the same thing that's written in stone or in a book is written on the tables of your heart and on your mind. No one should go by what they feel or think because we're still incarcerated in the realm of this flesh. And in spite of Yahweh's current work on our heart, meaning our inward person, we are still in a body right now that has the ability to commit sin. When we're tempted with sin, we have now. If, if you're born from above, you have the ability to sin or to not sin. Prior to that, I believe, prior to the Spirit's regeneration on the heart, I don't believe you have the ability to not sin. In the kingdom, you'll have the ability to never sin again. But right now you have both. You have the ability to not sin or the ability to sin. And you know, you know, sometimes when you're tempted, sometimes when you're tempted, whether it be by your flesh or the devil or one of his minions, sometimes you choose the proper route and you say no to sin and you say yes to Yahweh. But there are other times that in that moment you love your sin more than you love Yahweh and you say yes to sin. I'll talk more about that here in just a little bit. We do not get to make decisions on our own as to what is right and what is wrong. Do not fall for that lie. The last thing you need to do is think you do not have to read Yahweh's law. That is a way that Yahweh writes His law on your heart by reading it and studying it. And fourthly, in verse 14, when Paul says that the entire law is fulfilled, Paul is talking about the entire horizontal law. The entire law that pertains to human relationships. Not the law in its every detailed commandment. There are some laws that pertain vertically from human to Yahweh. That's not the context of Paul's statement here. Paul's talking about serving one another through love. So when he says the entire law, he's speaking of the entire horizontal law, person-to-person law. And it's fulfilled or carried out or obeyed in one statement. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's where you always start when you're dealing with people. Then he says in verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Paul is saying here that biting and devouring is the opposite of loving and serving. We should choose to love and serve our brother and our sister, not bite and devour. If we choose to bite and devour, we'll end up getting nowhere, non-existent in the kingdom of Yahweh. So, what is Paul's main point here to the Galatians? Paul has just finished explaining to the Galatians. He's explained to them that they're not required 
to proselytize to Judaism in order to be forgiven or in order to be saved. This entire epistle centers in on telling adult Gentile males and even females, because females had to go through a proselytization process as well when they chose to do that. He tells these Gentiles that they do not have to obey the outward markers in the law. Those markers that outwardly distinguish Jews from Gentiles or Israel from the heathens, they do not have to obey those laws in order to be forgiven of their sins. That's what Paul means when he teaches against justification by law. He is not talking about the entire law. He's talking about specific laws in Israel that were outward markers. But then Paul balances that out by telling these same Gentiles what that does not mean is that you do not have to obey the Torah. That's not what it means. Gentile converts still needed to obey the Torah, but they did not need to obey certain outward markers of the Torah, comma, to be forgiven. A Gentile would learn over time and could gradually go on to obey these outward markers. There is nothing wrong with a Gentile, a heathen male that comes to Yahweh, learning and growing and obeying the tassel law, or the law of circumcision, or the law of the beard, or the law of the phylacteries. There's nothing wrong with that. And as a Gentile would learn and grow, those things would become more and more applicable to him in his walk and service to Yahweh. But he was not required to do those things in order to be forgiven of his sins. He was forgiven of his sins by faith in the promise that Yahweh made to Abraham back in the book of Genesis. It's justified the same way that Abraham was justified about 25 years before Abraham was circumcised. So, you've been called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Rather, obey all of the commandments that apply from person to person. Rather, serve one another through love. Fulfill the law by loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Just because you are not justified by the law does not mean you do not have to be obedient to the law as a believer. There must be a balance. We shouldn't slide too far to one side or the other side. The Judaizers and some people today slide to the extreme of thinking that a heathen or a Gentile is not forgiven until he gets circumcised or starts keeping certain laws. Other people slide to the other extreme and they think the Old Testament law has no place in the life of the Christian. It's all about that grace. No works. Both extremes are wrong. And both lead to heresies. Two heresies. One, of either denying the work of the Messiah or two, turning grace into a license to sin. Listen. Yahweh's grace and mercy is not given to a sinful person to okay what they've been doing. That is not why Yahweh gives you grace. That's not what grace means. Grace is not a stamp that says, it's okay how you've been living. You're covered no matter what. No. That's not what Yahweh's grace is for. If a teenage boy steals some money from his grandmother's purse and then comes back later and tells her, and he's genuinely sorry for what he's done. Genuinely sorry. Repentant. He tells her, I'm sorry, grandmother, I did this. I want to ask you for forgiveness and I want to pay you back. And if the grandmother looks at him and all she says is, don't worry, son, I forgive you. Is the grandmother okaying that action? No. No. She's not okaying that action. Grace and mercy does not okay the action. 
What grace and mercy does is it simply lets go of the hostility or the penalty for what has taken place. That's what grace and mercy does. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And grace is when you do get what you don't deserve. Hope I said that right. If a friend of mine, I've used this many times, but if a friend of mine racks up $10,000 in traffic fines and he or she is about to be jailed because they, they don't have the money to pay the fines. And in the graciousness of my heart, let's say I do have it, and I step in and I give them the ten grand, and I tell them, don't worry, buddy, I'll take care of it for you. He says, what? I said, don't worry. You don't have to pay me back. This is on me. I'm going to do this. That does not mean that my friend should drive away recklessly from the courthouse, running over mailboxes, side-swiping cars on the highway. Mercy releases you from the penalty of the law. And grace gives you the opportunity that you do not deserve. But neither mercy or grace okays the wrongs that you've committed. That's not what grace is for. How would you feel? How would you feel if somebody took advantage of your kindness? You gave them the $10,000 free and clear. And they hugged you. And they cried. And then they left, wiped their tears, and they went back to do the same exact things that got them in trouble to start with. How would that make you feel? Well, Yeshua did not give ten grand. He gave His whole life. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was tortured. His beard was pulled out. All for our transgressions of the law, Isaiah 53 says. That's why He died. For our sins. How then does it make Him feel when we continue in the sin that He gave His life for? How does He feel when we just say, eh, that's Old Testament. He's got me covered. No problem. Paul is teaching the Galatians here that freedom from the yoke of slavery, freedom from the teaching that we're not justified by the law, does not mean that we can live with grace as a license to do anything that our flesh wants to do. That's his whole point right here. You're called to freedom, brothers, but don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. As heretical as justification by the law is, antinomianism, which means against the law, is just as heretical. And there will be people who end up in hell for both teachings. People who thought they could earn their salvation by outward works and people who thought that grace just means anything goes. If you're a genuine believer, the Spirit of Yahweh, at least a portion of it, not all of it, but a down payment, Ephesians 1 talks about, a portion of the Spirit of Yahweh lives inside of you and you have the ability by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I realize it's an everyday battle. Right, Brother Jerry? It is an everyday battle. Paul said, I die daily, talking about to this flesh. But by the Spirit, you can do it. But you must work out your spiritual muscles. You must stay in the Word. You must pray. You must meditate. You must fast. You must constantly work out spiritually. What you put in will be what you get out. Don't expect to be an overcomer over sin if you never spend any time doing anything spiritual. Right? You can't expect to just go right out there and run a marathon, right? Somebody enters a marathon, they train for months and months, sometimes years in advance. Don't expect to be an overcomer if you don't put in any time in the Spirit. That's like expecting that you'll pass a chemistry test even though you never listened to the teacher or studied the material. That's not going to happen. I tried it before in high school. didn't happen. didn't happen at all. 
Our life as a believer, I'm going to close with this. Our life as a believer is a constant battle. It is a war between our flesh, our sinful nature, and the Spirit of Yahweh that He's placed within us. Now, I've I've preached kind of hard tonight. But I'm going to end with the Gospel. Now, you may say this. Brother Matthew, I've been struggling. I don't want to sin. But it keeps coming up. And Brother Matthew, sometimes I choose to do good. But other times I choose to do evil. And I feel so defeated. And I'm so sorry for how I've treated Yahweh. If you come to me and say that you've been having a struggle, then take heart. Because the struggle means that you're Yahweh's child. It is not the people who struggle that I worry about because they feel remorse and repentance and penitence over their sin and they're sorry when they sin. And sometimes when they sin, they get a headache or a stomach ache or a fever. It's the people who don't struggle that I worry about. It's people who can sin and not feel any remorse or any repentance. Those, and those who think that they don't sin and they're righteous in and of themselves. Those two groups are the ones I worry about. Listen, as you get older in the Spirit, you can do better. But you must constantly and purposefully put forth the effort to be obedient. And Brother Matthew can't drill that in you. Faith does come by hearing and hearing by the message preached. I believe that. But unless Yahweh grants you the gift of faith, I can't put it inside of you. I can't do it. But if you have the Spirit, if you're Yahweh's child, you can do better as you grow in sanctification. But you've got to put forth the effort. Don't ever let your guard down. But there will always, always be a struggle. And it's because you're still in this flesh. But keep struggling. Don't ever stop. Pray. Fast. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Perform acts of charity. Acts of kindness. Do those things that keep the spirit man strong. Let the spirit man live, Brother Ron sings. Do those things that keep the spirit man strong. And all the while, in that struggle, know, brothers and sisters, know that you are forgiven by grace. Don't ever stop struggling. Don't ever give up. Keep the faith in spite of what happens in your life. We'll continue this on the works of the flesh next week. Uh, May Yahweh bless you. And Shalom.